You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, this morning, we're, we're going to actually look at two chapters. We're going to look at chapter 29, and we're going to look at chapter 30 in a message that I've titled, Reaping and Repenting. Reaping and Repenting. Now, before we tackle these chapters, however, why don't we, why don't we seek the Lord and pray for just a moment? Father, we, we, uh, we, we turn our hearts to you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace, you're a God of compassion, and you're a God of mercy. In fact, when Moses asked your name in the book of Exodus, you said that you are, you are faithful, you are compassionate, you are loving, and you are kind, and you are forgiving to the third and fourth generation. Lord, reminding us that there's nothing that we can do to exhaust your grace. There's nothing that we can do to exhaust your patience because, Lord, not only do you have patience, you said that your very name is patience. You are gracious. You are loving kindness. So we we turn now to you, Lord, in need of your grace, in need of your mercy, and we pray that your word this morning would speak to the hearts and lives of the people that have come. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and everyone say it. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned, the the title of this message is Reaping and Repenting. Now, you know, it's been said that that some Christians sail so close to the lake of fire that their sails get singed. (laughs) Well, uh, in many ways, that describes the last year and a half of David's life. Because as we pointed out a couple weeks ago, David is, is facing kind of an identity crisis in that uh, he, he, he's a follower of God who's living in the land of the enemy. So it's an identity crisis. He's got one foot in and one foot out. And so as we saw in these last couple of chapters, which was really the last year and a half of David's life, there's, there's been no mention of prayer. He, he's not seeking God. He's not, he's, not, he's not talking to God. He's not listening to God. And, and in fact, during that year and a half, David has not written a single psalm. So he's not praying. He's not worshiping. He's not turning to God. But now this morning in chapter 29 and chapter 30, we're now looking at the events that bring David to repentance, the, the events that bring David back to God. And so now as we look at chapter 29, we see that the first event that brings David back to God is that David is rejected. David's rejected. So in chapter 29, verse 1, it starts and says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped uh, by the spring that is in Jezreel. Now, by the way, that would be the spring of Herod, which was uh, the the, the Gideon spring, we sometimes call it, where Gideon kind of separated his men back in the book of Judges, just kind of a point of reference. Then in verse 2 it says, As as the Lord of the Philistines were, as the lords of the Philistines were passing by on the the, the hundreds and, and by the thousands, David and his men were passing on the rear with Achish. And the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for for days and years? And since he's deserted to me, I found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place that you've assigned to him. He shall not go down with us into the battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord? Would it not be with the heads of those men that are here? Is this not David, uh, of whom they sing uh, to one another in, 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 in their dances, saying, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and he said to him, 
As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and, 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 and to me it seems right that you should march in and out with me into the campaign, for, 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 for I have found nothing wrong with you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now <clears throat> and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? And, and what have you found in your servant from the day that I entered your service until now that I may not go and, and fight, uh, fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you're blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up into the battle with us. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who, who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have, you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now as we look at chapter 29, it's helpful to keep in mind that it's actually supposed to be connected to chapter 27. 27 and 29 are, are, are peas in the pod. They're meant to go together. So now remember, back in chapter 27, we saw that, that David was, was no longer seeking God. He's, he's no longer praying. He's no longer talking to God. He's no longer seeking God's word. He's no longer seeking God's counsel. Instead, uh, chapter 27 says that David was talking to himself. And in the process, he talks himself into believing that it was just a matter of time before Saul would find him and kill him, and that really the only way out was for him to defect to the enemy for him to cross the border and go to the Philistine camp, the enemy's camp. And so now, for the last year and four months, uh, David has been trying to, to fit in with the enemy, trying, trying to belong with the enemy. And, and, and you know, and during this time, he, he sort of was able to pull the wool over the king's eyes, over Achish's eyes, so much so that we saw last week in chapter 28 that, that David gets a prestigious promotion. He gets promoted to the honorable position of being the king's personal bodyguard. Now, David might have had the king fooled, but no one else was, because now the, the commanders of the Philistine armies, they, 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 they come to the king and are like, you know what, we don't trust this guy. You know, we, we, we don't want this guy anywhere around us. I mean, for, for, you know, send him home. For all we know, he's an Israeli spy. He's like an Israeli Trojan horse. I mean, you know, he might be, he might be taking our military secrets and sending them back to his people. And, and, and worse yet, he, you know, as, as we go out into the battlefield and we're in the front lines of the battlefield fighting against his people, the Jewish people, he and his 600 might turn on us and attack us from within. So like, you know what? If he's coming with us, then we're going home. Well, at that, the king's like, hey, listen, I personally vouch for David. I mean, you know, he, he, he's got my personal seal of approval. He says, you know, I trust him with my life. And now the, the Philistine commanders are like, well, okay, we're glad you trust him. If you trust him so much, check it out. You're going to go into battle with just him because if he's coming, we're leaving. So at that, the king has no choice and he sends David home. Now, as we kind of look at all that, there's like a, 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 a contrast between 27, chapter 27 and chapter 29. Because at the end of chapter 27, it closes very interestingly. In chapter 27, verse 12, the chapter closes by saying that he, David, made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. He made himself an utter stench to his people of Israel. In other words, because David had defected to the enemy and David was now with the enemy and living like the enemy, God's people wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't like him and they didn't trust him and they didn't want him. 
But now chapter 29 is also letting us know that the enemy of God's people didn't trust him either. And they don't want him around. They didn't like him. They didn't want him. And they didn't trust him. And so what we see is that, frankly, at this moment, David doesn't fit anywhere. He doesn't fit with the people of God, and he doesn't fit with the people of the enemy. He, he was pretending to be something that he wasn't. He's got one foot with the Lord and one foot with, with the world, and he doesn't fit with either camp. And now we see that he's, he's being rejected by the very people he's just spent the last year and four months trying to impress, trying to fit in with. Reminds me of a, of a man years ago who came to Dwight Moody. And he said, you know, Pastor Moody, you know, now that I'm saved, do I have to give up the world? And, and, and Moody just smiled and, and, and said, he said, no, you don't need to give up the world because listen, if you're truly saved, the world's going to give up you. They're not going to want you anywhere around. Well, for David, the truth is that no one wanted him around. The people of God didn't want him around because he was living like the enemy, and yet the enemy didn't want him around because he was a child of God. He didn't fit anywhere. And so the first thing that leads him back is that he gets rejected. He gets turned away. And now as we pick it up in chapter 30, the first 15 verses, now we see that David reaps and then ultimately repents. He reaps and repents. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag, now remember, Ziklag was the name of the village that Achish, the king of the Philistines, granted and gave to David. He, he made him you know, kind of in charge of that village. So this was David's village. Now when the men of David uh, came to Ziklag, on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev. Negev just means south. And against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and they'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. And they killed no one, but they carried them off, and they went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and all the people who were with them raised their voices, and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. And David's two wives had also been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Ab Abiathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue for you shall overtake and you shall surely rescue. So David set out, he and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Besor where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and they brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of, of, of cake of the figs and two clusters of raisins. And, and when he'd eaten, his spirit was revived for he had not eaten bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me because I fell sick three days ago. And we made a raid against the Negev of the Carathites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me to the hands of my master, and I will take you to this band. 
So now as we, as we look at these opening verses of, of chapter 30, what we're seeing is, is that David is discovering the hard way, the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Even as it says in Job uh, chapter 4, verse 8, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble will reap it. Or Galatians 6, verse 7, that says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so the Bible tells us that we, we, we reap what we sow. The Bible promises that if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. In other words, if we sow sin, we sow the seeds of sin and the, and the seeds of carnality, we will reap a bumper crop of consequences. Or as it says in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And in this passage, David is now reaping the whirlwind. Now for starters, number one, the first thing that happened was that he got rejected. Again, he's getting rejected by the by the very people he just spent the last year and four months trying to impress, trying to fit in with. You know, he, he's trying to find acceptance. He's trying to find belonging. But now they turn him away. They reject him. That's number one. But then number two, David comes back to his village only to find that his village has been, has been completely ransacked and, 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 and raided and burned to the ground. And then he discovers that his two wives, along with the wives of all his men and their children, have been kidnapped. And just when David thinks it can't get any worse than this, then he discovers that, that, that his men, his own men, are turning on him. There's, there's talks of a mutiny. They're, 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 they're picking up rocks. They're going to stone him to death. Now listen, the, the Bible tells us, I think it's in Hebrews eleven twenty five 25, that it tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. Listen, you're never going to hear from this pulpit that sin is not pleasurable, that sin's not fun. Sin is fun. The Bible says sin is pleasurable. But listen, it says it's only pleasurable for a season. Listen, you, you go out there and you sow the seeds of sin, you sow the seeds of, of, of carnality, it's fun for a season, and then comes the next season. The Bible calls that season reaping, and reaping is not so fun. It's been well said that, that if you want to live like the devil, just remember, there's hell to pay. You're going to reap. And so, <coughs> David is reaping. He's reaping what he's sown. He's been sowing sin. He's been sowing carnality for a year and a half. And now those who have who, been following him into his rebellion, now they are rebelling against him. They've turned on him. There's a mutiny against him. Or as Chuck Swindoll puts it, mutiny has now boarded the bus of carnality. So he's, he's lost everything. He's been rejected. He's lost this. He's lost that. And now his own men are turning on him. And that's why verse 6 says that David was greatly distressed. Now, we're distressed in verse 6. It's a, it's a psychological term. It speaks of, 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 of deep psychological anxiety, deep psychological anguish. He was deeply distressed. Corey Timboom, many of you remember Corey Timboom, she is a survivor of, of, of the Nazi concentration camps. And so what that means is, is that this is a woman who knew a thing or two about pain, about suffering, about anguish, about anxiety, about, about being distressed. Corey Timboom uh, wrote these words. She says, look around and be perplexed. Look within and be distressed. Look up to Jesus and be at rest. 
You see, David's problem was that he wasn't looking up. He was looking around at his, at his, at his, at his circumstances, and, 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 and that was, was perplexing, and he was looking within. Remember, chapter 27, verse 1 tells us David wasn't praying. He was just talking to himself. He, he's, he's looking within himself, and now as a result, he's distressed. And yet, there's a turning point. It's very interesting that, that verse 6 uh, ends with, with, with saying, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then verse 8 goes on to say that, that he inquired of the Lord. Listen, this is, this is the first mention of God in the last year and four months of David's life. As I mentioned earlier, for a year and four months, he has not been praying, he hasn't been seeking God, he hasn't been worshiping God. He, he, this is the first mention of him turning to God in the last year and a half of his life. This marks a turning point. But what got him there? What brought him to this point? Well, number one, he, was, he, he faced rejection. And then number two, on the heels of rejection, he started reaping. His, his village is ransacked. His village is burned down. His wives are kidnapped. Not only are his wives kidnapped, the wives and children of all his men are kidnapped. And then on top of that, now his men want to kill him. And as pressure mounts and it continues to mount and it continues to build, now all of a sudden, that's what drives him to the Lord. And that's where it leads him to, to this place where it says that David was strengthened in the Lord his God. This is a turning point in his life. And now at this point, the, the reaping has led to repentance. And now as we pick it up in verse 16, we, we, we see that David is now restored. For, uh, verses 16 through 20, it says, And when he had taken him down, the, the, him is, is the Egyptian, when, 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 when he had taken him down, behold, they, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and, and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And, and, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men. Now, hold on. Wait a minute. I love it. It says, not a man of them escaped. Well, except for 400. Wait, 400 is a lot. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. Verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives and nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that, that, that had been taken. David brought all back and David captured all the flocks and the herds and, and, and the people drove the livestock before him and the people said, this is David's spoil. Let's look at this. There, there's a point of emphasis that's being made. There's, there's, it, it states something, and then it states it again to make a point of emphasis. So what I want you to notice is in verse 18, it says, David recovered all. David recovered all. And then in, at the end of verse 19, it says, and David brought all back. In the Hebrew, it's the same. David recovered all. All that had been taken, all that had been stolen, all that he lost, it's all been restored. It's all been recovered. Hey, listen, here's the cool thing about God. The cool thing with God is, is, that, if, is that if you, like David, have, 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 have been living in sin, if, if you've rebelled, if you're living with the enemy, if you're sowing sin, the cool thing is that, is that if or actually when you repent, he restores. When you repent, he restores. 
God said in Joel 2 verse 25, he said, he said, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Listen, I've seen marriages restored. I've seen families restored. I've, I've, seen, I've seen careers restored. I've seen sanity get restored. And the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter how great your sin is because his grace is even greater. God says in Jeremiah 3.22, he says, Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. That's what he does. He heals. He restores. In fact, I think the story of the so-called prodigal son is a great illustration of this. I shared the prodigal son a few weeks back, but, but we all know the story. The story of this rebellious son who, who goes and demands his, his, his portion of the father's estate. And, and then he, he takes all that the father gave him. And then as, as, as Luke 15 verse 13 puts it, it says, he squandered his wealth in wild living, in sinful living. That word squandered, it's an interesting Hebrew word. It paints a a very vivid word picture. It's the Greek word, I'm sorry, I said Hebrew. It's the Greek word, uh, diaskorpizo. It's a word that means to scatter. It's it's used when scattering seed, a farmer who goes out and scatters seed. But it's not describing a farmer who takes the seed and kind of sows rows and kind of scatters it this way. It describes a farmer who takes the seed and throws it into the wind. And as he throws it in the wind, the wind takes it wherever it goes. Now, figuratively, sometimes it was used of money. And when it was used of money, figuratively, it's it's a way of saying, you're throwing your money away. You're throwing your money into the wind. You're out there like Oprah. You know, who wants money? You get some money, and you get some money, and you get some money. And and, and that's that's what the prodigal son was doing. And he gets out there, and, 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 and he's buying this, and he's buying that. He's buying fun, and he's buying sin, and he's buying friends until, until oh, the day comes. And when all his money runs out, so did all his so-called friends. And now he's broke and broke in. And, 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 and he's destitute, and he wants to come back to his father, but he thinks, you know what? When my father finds out what I've been doing, when he finds out what I did with everything that he gave me, he's going to kill me only to find out that his father embraced him and threw his arms around him. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, it says, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Uh, put, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now, I've mentioned this before, but, but that robe would, would speak of identity. You see, in that, in that day, uh, men were often known by the color of the robe that they wore. And so oftentimes when a man was, was at a great distance away, too far away for you to recognize his face, you still knew who it was because of the color of his robe. Oh, that's Bob. Well, in this case, when the father basically takes the robe off of his own back and gives it to his son, in effect what was happening was, was, was it was saying, you know what, from this day forward, no one's going to look at the son and see the rebellious son, see the wayward son, see the, the, the sinful son who squandered everything. Now when they look at the son, they only see the father. It's a change of identity. And then number two, he gave him his ring. Now this would be the signet ring. Giving your son the signet ring was on the level of, of giving like, like your, your, your son your, your American Express Platinum. And what it speaks, it speaks of sonship. Remember, the prodigal son, when he was first thinking about coming home, he's like, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be one of my dad's hired men, one of my, one of my dad's slaves. I mean, I hope maybe he'll just take me back and hire me and just let me work off all my debt. But when he came back, listen, the father did not restore him to servanthood. He restored him to sonship. He was fully restored. And then he gave him new sandals. Now, the new sandals would speak of a new walk. 
Those feet that once walked in the world, those feet that once walked in sin are now walking in righteousness. And all of this reminds us that when we repent, he restores. Just as David recovered all, just as all was restored. And so now with that, as we pick it up, verse 21 down to the end of the chapter, we also discover that David is now standing on the promise of God. That is the promise of God's word. Verse 21, then David came uh, to the 200 men who, who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had, le- who had been left by the brook of Besor. And when they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with them, and when David came near to the people, he, he greeted them. Then all of the wicked and worthless fellows among, who, uh, among the men who had gone out with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any spoil that we've recovered, except that each man may, may lead away his wife and children and depart. Like, you know what? We've decided we voted them off the island. We don't even want them with us anymore. Verse 23. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, for he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a a statue and and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends and the elders of Judah, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the the enemies of the Lord. And it was for Bethel and and for Ramoth of the Negev and and, and Jatir in Aroer and in Sipmoth and in Eshpemoah and in Rakal and in the cities of the Jeremelites and the cities of the Kenites uh, in Hormah, in in Borashan and in Atak, in Hebron, in all the places that David and his men had roamed. So now as this kind of comes to a close in that chapter, we kind of need to keep in mind that that in those ancient days, it was customary that the common practice was that soldiers were to be compensated from the spoils of victory. So whatever the spoils of victory were, they were to be collected and then then divided among all the soldiers who were part of, 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 of getting that victory. That was the common practice. Well, now the problem was that in this case, only two thirds of the soldiers earned it. Only two-thirds of the soldiers, you know, participated in getting the victory. The other one-third, they were too tired. They, they, they stayed at the brook. And so now there comes some division. Because now all of a sudden, the two-thirds, they turn to the one-third, and they're like, you guys are just a bunch of sissies. And because you were too, you know, too, too much of, 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 of sissies and pansies to get in the battle, you know what? We don't want to share anything with you. In fact, you know what? We don't even want you to be a part of us. We have voted you off the island. And now David takes a stand. And when he's standing, he's, he's standing on the biblical promise of share and share alike. Now, by the way, I said it's a biblical promise. Notice back in, in uh, verse 24, it says, David says, for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays, in the, stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. Now, what we may not see here is that David is actually standing on on the biblical passage, the the biblical principle outlined in Numbers chapter 31, verses 26 and 27. Because in Numbers chapter 31, verse 26 and 27, it says, take account of the booty that, that that was captured both of man and animal and divide the booty between the warriors who went out into battle and all of the congregation. And so what we notice was that 
Yeah, it might have been the custom of the day to, to divide the spoils of those who went out into battle. But the principle of scripture was that, yeah, you took the spoils of battle and you divided it and you gave it to the warriors who won the battle. And it says in Numbers chapter 31, verse 27, and you give it to those who are in the congregation, those who did not go out into the battle. And that's what David's saying. He's saying, you know what? Uh, uh, there's the portion for those who went out into the battle and then there's the portion for those who stayed behind with the baggage. He says, they shall share alike. And so now David is, is actually standing on the promise of God's word. The promise is scripture. Now think about this for a moment. In this passage, we've seen this progression. We've seen David in this passage going from, from having one foot in and one foot out. For the last year and a half of his life, he's not praying, he's not worshiping, he's not seeking God, he's not listening to God. And, and, and with that, we see that, that God allowed David to defect to the enemy. God allowed David to backslide. God allowed David to sow sin and to sow carnality. But you know what? God allowed David also to, to reap what he had sown to reap the consequences. And so after being rejected, then all of a sudden he starts to reap. His, his, his village gets ransacked. His wives get kidnapped. The, the wives of his men, the children of his men, they get kidnapped. And now his men want to attack David and turn on David. And all of that, as we saw, were the very things that led David to return to the Lord, to once again be strengthened by the Lord. And now after all of that, we now see David actually standing on the promise of God's word. Listen, he went from rejecting God to now standing on the word of God as he takes a stand for Numbers chapter 31, verses 26 and 27. That not only did the fighting men get the share, but also the congregation who didn't go into battle. You share and share alike. And so really what we have, this, 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 this gives us a glimpse really in, into how God handles his backslidden children. And how is it? How does he handle his backslidden children? He, he, he allows the backslider to come to the end of himself. Because as the late Alan Redpath put it, when we get to the end of ourselves, we get to the beginning of God. Proverbs 14, 14 says, a backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. So what it's saying is that, you know what? God not only allows the backslider to have his fill of sin, to have his fill of fun and his, his fill of sowing sin, but he also allows the backslider to have his fill of the consequences, his fill of the reaping, so much so that he gets to the point that he's tired of reaping. He's tired of the consequences. He's had his fill of it. He can't take it anymore. And it's in that condition that when you've had your fill of the consequences, the fill of the reaping, and you can't take it anymore, that's what usually leads you to repentance. I think a great example of that is the story of the young man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that was sleeping with his, with a, with his, his father's wife, his, 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 his stepmother. Now, I know this sounds like a story that came out of the You Might Be a Redneck If Bible, uh, but, you know, because, you know, like they say, if, if you view the upcoming family reunion as a great chance to meet chicks, you might be a redneck. But, but, but this is actually a true story. This really happened. And, and, and yet the, the problem is, is that the Corinthian church, that they, they were actually, they, they, they turned a blind eye to this. In fact, they were actually bragging about it. They're like, hey, look, look how loving we are, how, how accepting we are, how inclusive we are that we could even accept a guy like this into our church, a guy that's sleeping with his dad's wife. 
And so Paul, he, he's kind of outraged, and, and he, he rebukes the church. He corrects the church. He says, listen, you shouldn't be bragging about how loving and how accepting you are of this guy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, hand this man over to Satan so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So he's saying, listen, you need to let this guy face the full consequences of his sin. And hopefully those consequences will wake him up, snap him out of his sin, and drive him to repentance. And then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? He's like, here you are, you're, you're bragging about how, how loving and inclusive and accepting you are, and you don't even realize that one bad apple is going to spoil the whole bunch. And so Paul's basically saying, listen, you need to kick this guy out of your church. You need to let this guy face the full ramifications of his sin and, and don't accept him back into the church until he's repented. That is, until he's broken off this sinful relationship and gotten right with God. And then, when he's repented, we'll now bring him back into the church, accept him once again. And so with that, let me ask you, do you how many of you have a backslider in your life? You know, how many of you have someone in your life that, you know, that, that, that's turned away? Maybe, maybe it's a child. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, an adult child. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a spouse that, that's rebelling against God. Maybe, maybe it's your, uh, your, your parents or maybe it's a neighbor, somebody that you work with, but somebody in your life that you care about. How many of you have someone in your life that has defected to the enemy? Someone in your life who, who's sowing the seeds of sin, sowing the seeds of carnality. Listen to this. It's hard as this is going to be for you to hear. Let me tell you that you have to allow them to reap what they've sown. You need to allow them to reap what they've sown. And by the way, when they're reaping, that is not the right time for you to intervene, for you to get involved. You know, sometimes it, it can be so hard to, to watch people that we love struggle. You know, maybe they've got an addiction of some kind or, or uh, they, 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 they've ended up in jail or this has happened and that's happened. It'd be so hard to watch the people we love throw their lives away. And so we, we, you know, we, 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 we see this, and because we love them, we, we intervene, we, we want to help. You know, we quote-unquote rescue them. We, you know, maybe we bail them out of jail. Or maybe we, we, we're like, you know, hey, listen, uh, you, know, you can come and live with us until, until you get back on your feet. And, and, and of course, we're trying to help, but what we may not realize is we might actually be thwarting the very plan of God. You know, we, we pray, and we're like, we're like, God, please bring them back to you. God, please, please. Please bring them back to the family. God, please bring them ba back to their senses. And God's like, I'm trying, but you keep interrupting. I'm trying, but, but, but you keep thwarting my plan. Why don't you let them reap? Because it's the reaping that's going to cause them to repent and come back. No, listen, as a, as a recovering backslider myself, I can personally tell you that you need to let them reap. I mean, you know my story. I mean, I tell, I, I've told it now like 350 times this week. Um, and, and you know my story that, that you know, at the age of, of 15, almost 16 years old, sophomore in high school, that's when I accept Christ. That's when I accept Jesus. After my aunt and uncle, they find me on the streets after I ran away. They, they bring me in to live with them on the condition that I go to church. And after several months, I give my life to Christ. But the problem is, by my senior year, by the time I'm 18 years old, I completely rebelled. I completely backslid. And I mean hardcore. Drinking and, and fighting and stealing and sleeping around and a bunch of other crazy stuff. And, and then just like the prodigal son, I too was, was throwing away my father's estate. 
for those of you who don't know, my, my dad, when I was 10 years old, had committed suicide. And from that point on, I was collecting his social security payments. And so by the time I was 18 years old, I had, I had well over 10 grand, well over $10,000 in the bank. Now listen, in 1988, 10 grand was a lot of money. And I'm here to tell you that I literally blew every single penny of it in wild living, in sinful living. I don't even know where it went. I was just out there throwing money away, just left and right, like the prodigal son. You, you get some money, and you get some money, and I'm buying you know, fun, and I'm buying the beer, and I'm buying the drugs, and I'm buying this, and I'm buying that, and I'm buying friends. But then when all my money ran out, so did all my so-called friends. Now, one day after church, my uncle comes into my room, and, and he comes up, and he says, hey, bub. And whenever a conversation started with, hey, bub, I knew it wasn't going to be a good conversation. So he comes in, hey, bub. I went to the bank on Friday. He said, the bank, and I went, oh, crap. Yeah, I went to the bank on Friday, and you don't have any money left. You have spent all your money. He said, no, listen, your aunt and I, Patty and I, uh, my aunt and uncle are Patty and Larry. He said, you know, we, we've, we've, been, we've, been, we've been watching you for this last year. We've seen what you've been doing. We see how you're living your life. And listen, you're 18 years old. You're a man now. You can live your life any way you want to live your life. But I'm here to tell you that if you keep living your life like this, you're either going to be dead or in prison or both. He says, but for us in this house, we live for the Lord. And because you're not living for the Lord, you need to leave today. And so with that, he grabbed some of my clothes, put them in a trash bag, loaded me up in his car, and dropped me off at the nearby apartment complex parking lot. Now, this was a Sunday afternoon. You know what that means? That means the management office of the apartment complex was not open. So I'm standing there with a trash bag of stuff, nowhere to go. Start to have a little pity party for myself. And I'm like, you know, how could they do this to me? And I thought they loved me. And, and, all, and I wish I could tell you that that was the day that I repented and came back. But it is not. From there, I just went on a, on a downward spiral for the next year. Kind of like David, for the next year, year and a half, this downward spiral where sin got worse and worse and worse, breaking into cars, stealing stereos, committing different crimes, sleeping more around and, and strip dancing and all these different things and, and just one thing to another. And then the reaping started. The reaping started. Started losing jobs left and right and, and got to the point that I was basically homeless sleeping in a car or sometimes couch surfing and, 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 and then going to jail two or three different times and then losing your license a couple of different times and then this happens and that happens and this happens and then, and then finally after a year, a year and a half of this, I finally got tired of reaping. I had my fill of reaping. I couldn't take it anymore and that's what drove me back to the Lord. In the end, it was their tough love that was the very thing that God used to bring me back. But I'm here to tell you, just like David, God restored everything I threw away in sin. Because when I came back to the Lord, it wasn't long that I started serving in the church, started serving in the ministry. And then a few years later, then I meet the love of my life. And then, and then we get married, we plant a church, we have a family, and God has literally restored and then blessed abundantly. Listen, in the same way, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you are that backslider. Maybe, maybe you're the one that, that's, that, that's, that's been you know, living with the enemy, sowing sin, and now maybe you've been reaping. And maybe you're getting to the point that you've had your fill of reaping. You're tired of the consequences. You're tired of reaping. You know what that means? If you got to the point that you're tired of reaping, that what that means is that it's time to return. And that's easy to do. 
It says in Psalm 145, verse 18, it says the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I like like how Greg Laurie put it when he says, here's something to consider. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? It wasn't God, it was you. But he may be closer than you think. And it's true. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 tells us. But, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what it's saying is this. It's saying, you know what? If, if, if you turned away from God, if you're living in sin, you're living in rebellion, and, 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 and you've thrown it all away, it's just telling you, you know what? He might not be as far away as you think. He's just a call away. He's near to those who call on him in truth. Or as God said in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is your key to returning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you that we can stand on the promise of your word. And part of that promise, Lord, is that when we have backslidden, you will heal our backslidings when we repent. Part of that promise is, is that when we come to the end of ourselves, we find the beginning of God. When we, when we get to the point where we've had our fill with our own ways, if we repent, you restore that you are near to all who call on you in truth. Listen, if that's you, if you're that backslider, that one that, that's turned away from God, you've been sowing sin, you've, you, you, you haven't been seeking him, you haven't been listening to him, you've been listening to yourself, and now you're tired of it. This is the day. This is the day that you can come back. This is the day that you can return. And you need to do that just by calling on the Lord. As it says in Romans, he's near to, to, he says the the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That word of faith, that if you confess with your mouth that you need the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, that's you. If you need that, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Once again, I've rebelled. I took matters into my own hands. I started calling my own shots. And I'm tired of reaping. I'm tired of what it's brought me. So I come to you empty. I come to you broken. And I confess that that I need you. I confess that you are Lord. And that because you died for my sins, I can be restored by you. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.